0: Hello and welcome to my podcast sponsored by Lono Coffee. Visit lonocoffee.com, use promo code coffee 2020 for a discount. Time for holiday shopping, folks. Get it done. Today, I visit with longtime Cowboys reporter slash columnist Jean Jacques Taylor, a buddy of mine from Ohio State and a former colleague at ESPN. We talk Cowboys and he shares a little RGP memory from eight years ago. Don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. I'll have a story up Tuesday about Alex Smith and the team's outlook over the final six games. Some reasons why Washington is optimistic about where it's going. And I'll have a story on RG3's Thanksgiving Day game from eight years ago. The only time Washington beat Dallas on this day. Yeah, I'm sure it's a bittersweet memory for many of you, no doubt. But it was a hell of a day. Also, on Thursday, I'll release my interview with Washington team president Jason Wright. We go over a lot of things. Before I play my conversation with Jacques Taylor, I wanted to share three quick observations. The run defense, the front seven in particular, is still adjusting to the one gap scheme, and that's causing issues. If you want to know what's going on with the run D, that is is area number one. If they don't improve with this on Thursday, there could be some big big issues against Ezekiel Elliott. At times, you'll see some of the D-linemen playing a two-gap system because it's what they know. The problem, it's not what's needed, and it leads to a gap being created. Everybody's got a gap assigned. If one guy's playing a two-gap, somebody else can't fill their gap because they're not sure where to go. There have been times I've seen some of the D-linemen play one gap and a guy next to him playing a two-gap. It's not supposed to happen, but it is happening, and it is an issue. The linebackers also need to play more aggressively, attack the line. That's not happening on a consistent basis as well. They were pleased with how they fared Sunday for the most part, but to beat Dallas, they're going to have to play stout all game. One thing that will help over time is Cole Holcomb's growth. Part of it stems from watching film better. I was told that while he watched a lot of it in the past, he was a big-time film junkie in college, the problem was he too often was just following the ball. So while he was watching film, he wasn't really studying it the way it needs to be done, certainly not at an NFL level. It's a common transition for guys coming into the league. You do have to learn how to watch film. I think that's what he's going through, and I think that's something that could help him develop down the road. Just watching the ball rarely gives you the information you need to to dissect a play. So we'll see how he goes from here. Now, I discussed Antonio Gibson a bit after Sunday's win, but I want to focus more on him because he's pivotal to the final six games. If Washington's going to really make a run at this division title, it's going to have to be by grinding it out with the run game and having Alex Smith play an efficient Alex Smith-style game. What's pleased the coaches is that he's now getting better at some of those three, four, five-yard carries that he would not have gotten a few weeks ago. There were some runs on Sunday where he only got like four, three, four, five yards, but those are the runs the coaches really like because it showed some of his growth. It stems from being better at pressing the hole, feeling the cutback lanes sooner. He's still learning, but the bottom line is that he continues to develop. There's obviously reason to be optimistic about Gibson. Finally, the big problem that I still have with the D is the safety play, notably Troy Apke. There were a couple times Sunday when he helped versus the run. He made a stop in the hole on the series in which Chase Young forced a fumble, for example. Too often, he gets himself out of position in coverage and leaves others in a bad spot. It happened another deep ball Sunday when he bit on a crosser when he wasn't supposed to. It left Ronald Darby in a bad spot a couple times, and one time it did cost him. You could see sometimes Darby's expecting that inside help. You see the safety flying up when he's supposed to be deep. Problems are going to result. Dallas has the ability to hurt them deep, especially off of play action, and I have zero doubt that they will try to do so a couple times. They have the receivers who can really do some damage. I don't have much confidence or belief that Apke will change in a couple days. And that would lead to problems against legitimate passing attacks. Now, Andy Dalton is still Andy Dalton, but he can throw the ball. And if you give him time, if that running game is working for Dallas, and Ezekiel Elliott was getting things going the other day, and you'll hear Jacques Taylor talk about that a little bit more in a minute, then that's something that's going to be hard to, to defend because they have... Those receivers are pretty good. Washington did a good job controlling them in the first game. But if that, again, if that run game gets going and that line is holding up, then that's where there could be some issues. So that's going to be a key for Washington. I think one of the things that can help, one thing I've noticed lately is you saw the improved play from Chase Young on Sunday, or maybe I shouldn't say improved play. You saw some of the bigger plays that he made. But what I'm starting to see is a bit more consistency in his pass rush. It seems like he's getting applying more a little bit more pressure the last couple weeks as he's learning to rush the passer at this level. One of the things that I told you about before is he needed to start on some of his rushes, cut down the angle on the lineman, get to pick a half of the body and attack that bot that side of it, and that's what I I've seen him do that a few more times in the last couple of weeks. Now he's still getting picked up on some double teams or whatever. But I do see him getting home a little bit more. So if he can get home a little bit quicker, I think that would help this uh, line out a lot. But in, and in that secondary, I think he's going to need it, especially, again, the safeties. That's all for me. After this break, I'll play my conversation with longtime Dallas reporter slash columnist, Jean-Jacques Taylor. And yes, I know sometimes I say Jacques, sometimes Jean-Jacques. I've known him so long, I can call him both. He's currently a columnist with the Dallas Morning News and appears on Dallas TV, plus has the Jam Session Podcast, among other things. He shares a memory from 2012 and puts into perspective where this rivalry is at these days. You've heard me talking about Lono Coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. Lono Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley. Just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. Just look at their website, lonokecoffee.com and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency. They work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lone Oak Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right. Put a little Jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background. It's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Visit loneoakcoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E, Oakcoffee.com. coffee.com use promo code coffee, 2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. Now I'm very happy to be joined by somebody I've known for a long, long time. Somebody who I don't mind him knowing my age because he's known me for a long time as well. I don't like to give out my age, but this guy knows it. Um, and I'm, you know what? Let me start over Jacques. That sucked. Let me go. Three, two, one. Now I'm very pleased to be joined by my next guest, Jean Jacques Taylor. I've known him for a long, long time, and we we go way back to Ohio State. And when I was an editor there, the best move I made was hiring Jacques to cover the football team. (laughs) So that's how far we go back. I think Jacques, that was like that was the year that John or no Earl Bruce was fired, wasn't it? Yeah, it was one of the uh,
1: the great years to cover football. Uh, I can't. Re- I always get it confused whether it was Wisconsin or Indiana, but uh, one of them beat us there, and Bruce was like, this was the darkest day in Ohio State. History. That was Indiana. I was going to say, it may have been Indiana, because uh, I think Anthony Thomas may have hit us for about 200 yards that day. Uh, yes. But, um, hey, man, I remember that, and, uh, you know, it is what it is. It
0: is what it is. But Jacques has been covering the uh, Dallas Cowboys in some form or fashion for God, how many years has it been? It's been almost since, as long since nineteen ninety
1: five, bro. Okay, so it's, it's about. I showed up.
0: Yeah, so about when I started covering this team, and <laughs> we have a lot of combined failures of covering teams. I think, well, yeah,
1: we're two of the uh, two of the three franchises uh, that haven't been to the NFC Championship game. You know, and for for Washington for and ours. Detroit, it's been thirty years, right? Just about, and for Dallas, it's been those. Two those 28 years since uh, 1995.
0: Wow, my God. But anyway, Jacques still writes a comp for the Dallas Morning News, has the Jam Session podcast, an entertaining one. Also, has some side businesses that I'm going to ask him to talk about in a minute through JJT Media. But this is, we want to talk about this game because <laughs> despite both teams being three and seven, this is a big game in the NFC East. What has changed with the Dallas Cowboys since the last time that? We would have seen them against this team.
1: Well, I mean, I think first off, uh, uh, their defense is better. Uh, they got rid of Dontari Poe. They got rid of Everson Griffin. Uh, they made a couple changes in the secondary with personnel. And, you know, sometimes you can get better if your guys just want to play. You know, like if you're a young guy in the league and you see this as an opportunity and you just want to play 100 miles an hour, that can make your team better just because you got some energy and you're playing hard every snap. Uh, secondly, uh, they've got – like, I, I thought Washington would, would beat them and beat them pretty good the first game because their offensive line was in such disarray. Well, and it didn't hurt that Zach, Thomas, Zach Martin got hurt in the first quarter, and they really had no chance that day. Well, they, they've stabilized the offensive line. They got rid of uh, – or they benched Terrence Steele, who is literally – the worst tackle in the National Football League. If you pay attention to Pro Football Focus grades, literally, he's 78 out of 78. So they move right tackle. They move Zach Martin, one of the best guards, to right tackle, and they took a third-round pick, Connor McGovern, from two years ago and moved him at right guard. And what it means now is you got a functional offensive line, and so that's why they were able to run for 180 yards and score 31 points against Minnesota when they had only scored 40 points. Or forty-one points in the previous four games, so the offensive line is better. It's stabilized. The special teams have been a little bit better. The defense has been better. Now we ain't talk. We just talking about a team that won one game, man. <laughs> I mean, no.
0: That's all I got up here, I'm not too, Zach.
1: Rosy, rose-colored ray ban pitcher They still ain't no good, <laughs> but then neither is Washington.
0: No, that's the thing. Is like you know, you're talking about a win over Minnesota. I'm talking about a win over the Bengals, where. Joe Burrow was hurt. Now they started to play better, even when Burrow was in there. But you know, you they they took advantage, just like they took advantage, and they knocked Dallas out in that first game. And they took care of that game from the beginning. I felt like, but um, so it's not like this team is coming in on a roll either. But again, it, it is a big game. What difference did Andy Dalton make coming back and get being healthy now? What difference did he make uh. against Minnesota? I'll be honest with
1: you, man. I didn't see that. now. Nah. At the end of the game, he probably made a difference. There wasn't much difference between him and Garrett Gilbert, really. Garrett Gilbert threw for 230 yards uh, against Pittsburgh when he played. The biggest difference, I'm telling you, is they fixed the offensive line. You fix the offensive line, now your quarterback can be functional. Now your running game can be functional because they got receivers. I mean – Michael Gallup and uh, Mari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb, those guys are all good players. So if you can get the ball to them, they can make plays for you. But problem is they couldn't get the ball to them when uh, Danucci came in and when Andy Dalton got hurt. Um, to me, the most interesting aspect of this game, and I think it actually gives Dallas a real edge, is that um, when Bostic knocked out Dalton and none of his guys went to you know, start a fight or whatever. They basically got, got got called the five letter cuss word for a week. They got called cowards. They got called every name in the book. Um I would think in an NFL locker room when you have an opportunity at redemption like this, like somebody blows you out 56 nothing in a game. Um and these teams are fairly evenly matched now. Yeah. I would think they would come in with a bit of an attitude and a bit of um You know, you showed us up, you did us wrong, you messed with our quarterback, we didn't react the right way in some circles, and so now we're going to show you how we can react. And so I think this game will have a little edge to it, especially early, and to me that makes it kind of interesting.
0: Well, and also with the run game comes Ezekiel Elliott, and has it just been – the, la- the the line blocking that's kind of that was slowing him earlier this year, or is it or would was did you some, see something else in his game that you hadn't been seeing before?
1: I mean, it's two things. And the perfect play happened. The perfect example of a Zeke season happened uh two weeks ago against Pittsburgh, where uh, it's a it's a runoff uh, right tackle. Um Zach Martin the guard, makes a perfect reach block, cleans his guy up, and there's literally a hole big enough to drive a tank through. And all Terrence Steele has to do, remember I told you he was the 78th out of 78 tackle. He's up on the second level. All he's got to do is find somebody to block, anybody. You can look at the all-22 on the NFL game pass. His head's on a swivel. He can't figure out what to do. And while he's trying to figure out who to block, uh, Pittsburgh defensive lineman, Pittsburgh linebacker shoots right through the gap Right runs right off his left hip and drops Zeke for a two-yard loss on a play that I'm sure when Zeke got the ball said, oh, this is good for at least 30. Maybe I'll take this one to the house. And instead he got dropped for a two-yard loss. So, you know, those kinds of offensive line problems have been prevalent all year. And then you throw in the fact that without uh, Dak Prescott, as a real threat to throw the ball deep and open it up. You know things just got constricted, and then Zeke. Um, I think he was pressing a little bit early. He had way too many fumbles. He's kind of solved that problem, uh, but he looked good the other day. And uh, between him and Tony Pollard, that's always a good uh, a good matchup because Tony Pollard's just a much more explosive player. And when Zeke is is beating you down, when you got to deal with Tony Pollard, it can present some problems for you.
0: You, you've seen some good receivers there where do you what do you how do you where do you think cd lamb as a rookie i' say who he compares to because i don't want to start comparing to all these guys yet but in terms of his talent and all that where do you think he's at and how good could you think he can be
1: well he should be a star i mean he's got everything you want from a star he makes big plays and big moments he makes acrobatic catches he's got you know his best trait might really be his toughness he's a tough dude. In terms of you can hit him as hard as you want to, he pops up every single time, and uh, he's always trying to knock somebody's block off when he's blocking him. I mean, he's forever trying to be physical uh, for a little wiry guy. So he's got all—I mean, he's got all the skill set, man. And uh, in Dallas, and I can only speak for Dallas, you know, they gave him eighty-eight for a reason. It, it wasn't like an accident. It's like It's uh, a prize number. 10. Yeah, he wanted to wear ten. And they were like, "Nah, bro, you get eighty-eight. Drew Pearson Ward, Michael Irvin Ward, Des Bryant Ward. You fit a it. because that's what we give to guys who we think gonna be great.
0: And, and it takes a mindset to, I think, wear that number two to, to after that in that lineage, don't you think? Um, yeah, you have
1: to you have to embrace it and not get caught up in the pressure of uh, trying to live up to somebody, but just do your own thing. But, you know, he made a touchdown catch yesterday. It was a four-yard it touchdown was, catch in the yeah. stat book. But if you go back and look at it, uh, when Andy Dalton threw the pass, I thought – there I, th- I was like, what are you doing? Where are you throwing? And this is this is one of the worst passes I've ever seen on a fade. He was running a fade to the corner, um, and he literally, you know, did like a half twist and laid out and took his whole body and caught it perpendicular to the ground and – I mean, he did like a reverse uh, 180 twist, and I was, I was just like, "This is insane!"
0: It was uh, remarkable.
1: I have no idea how he caught it, but it was, it was one of the best catches I've ever seen, especially on that kind of route. Now, Des Bryant had a bunch of them. This was better. This was as good as any catch Des Bryant had, and you know, he scored seventy-three touchdowns.
0: I'm curious how you view the Alex Smith situation from afar because it's been the big story here lately. How, how do you how do you view him and what he's doing
1: um in what respect
0: just in anything just from his play i mean i don't know how much you watch him just his story um i mean i
1: think he's got a uh, obviously he's got a great story coming back from that uh horrific uh broken leg that's the story and now you know um you know he, he gets the win over uh he's been thrust into the starting lineup now uh since um Dwayne Haskins been benched, and uh, Kyle Allen is, uh, is hurt. And so, you know, it's uh, I think it's a great story. It's a testament to his uh, desire and competitiveness and all that good stuff. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, if he can sustain whatever success this year and how good can he play. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Cowboys attack him because I'm just curious when you have that much respect for a guy if you can really go knock his block off or if you try to let up a little bit. Um, I just always think that's interesting.
0: I don't think – and I would say I, I that was a question that we asked some guys before we started playing or even after it. And when you watch these guys play now, nobody's letting up on him because he's showing he can withstand that pressure. Can Dallas get at – can Dallas pressure this – can they pressure him, do you think?
1: Um, they did a pretty good job early pressuring. Um, but I think they can because I don't have any respect for watching the skill people. I mean, Terry McLaurin is good. I don't think they have anybody else you have to worry about. And so I would attack him and uh, Randy Gregory uh, has been playing really well. He's been putting a lot of consistent pressure on quarterbacks. Um, DeMarcus Lawrence had a, uh, had a tough knee injury early. that really slowed him for about a month. He's been playing a lot better the last three weeks. It makes me think he's feeling better. And so, yeah, I think they can pressure him, but this ain't no good defense. I'm not gonna sit here and say Alex Smith will be running for his life. Uh, (laughs) You know, I think the uh, this is gonna be like most games. If the Cowboys avoid turnovers, you know, more than two, because they give you two every week. If they can avoid (laughs) more than, I mean, they do.
0: I know, I know. know. Every
1: game since the opener, and they've given up two. I think in every game. These are two,
0: three, and seven teams, man.
1: (laughs) So, if they can avoid that. They got a chance to win, but I don't know if they can avoid that.
0: Let's, and playing on Thanksgiving, I mean, obviously you're there every year with this. Uh, What is this game, this Reds or Reds Washington, Dallas robbery on Thanksgiving? Does it mean anything different to people down there? Or is that, is that kind of, is that,
1: I just got to keep it real with you, man. I got uh, on my dad's side, I got uh, several first cousins who live in DC. Uh, Maryland area, huge Washington fans. This rivalry has always meant way more to Washington, especially over the last 25 years than it has to Dallas. Um, in part because Washington ain't been no good. I right. mean, Washington has had a blip here, a blip there, and Dallas, um, you know, has had many more seasons where they've been, you know, 10 wins, 11 wins, they haven't been able to consistently do it but they've had several years so and then you know i think there was one stretch where they beat washington you know 10 out of 12 or something like that and so it got to the point where philadelphia has been a much more in dallas philadelphia is becoming much more a much bigger rival i think to the fan base than washington and why is that it's because to win the division typically you got to deal with philadelphia and for a while philadelphia uh now this was a while back but Philadelphia had beaten them like eight in a row and was beating them by 20 points a game. And so, you know, the rivalry with Philadelphia really heated up because you had to deal with them to get to the division. So I think in Washington it's a much bigger deal for Washington fans than it is for Dallas fans. But whenever you're talking about Dallas and Washington on Thanksgiving day, it's always just feels like it's a big game. Or it's a game, or a marquee game, or a game that's going to be exciting, no matter kind of whether the teams are good or bad.
0: Uh, and, and I agree with that. And the last time, I got two more things for you, Jacques. Too the, the one game, just if you have any memories of this one, two thousand twelve, RG three goes down there, his hometown, huge second quarter. It's the only time Washington has beaten Dallas on Thanksgiving Day. Is that um, right? It is. That is right. And it was. And it was. if, if I don't know if you remember much from that game, but just that was a gonna game you, that.
1: I'm going to tell you exactly what I remember from that game, because I'll never forget it. And I mentioned it every now and then. What I remember from that game is, is, yeah, I mean, I know RG3 put on a show, but what I remember at, at, at the game is uh, is at halftime bumping into a Cowboys executive who said, oh, my God, what are we going to do? We're going to be seeing this dude for the next decade and we have no answers for it. And that's what I remember because a year later, they didn't have to worry about him anymore. I know. And to me, it's always struck me as that's just, that's the epitome of the NFL and how an injury or a circumstance can change an entire career so quickly. And for teams like, and it, it, it comes into play for me for teams like Dallas, You know, we talk about in Dallas, this 25 year drought without getting to the championship game or whatever. And the reality is Dallas has had three chances, three legitimate opportunities to go to the championship game and win a Super Bowl, 2007, 2014, 2016. And each year, some their fault, some not their fault. They didn't get it done. But had they got it done in any of those years when they were talented enough and capable enough, then the whole conversation would be different. And so, what it tells me is when you got a player like RG3 or you have a season like they had, you really have to capitalize on yeah. it because you aren't guaranteed to have it again anytime soon. No. Nope. Um, yep. You know, to me, it's like when, uh, for me, it's like down here. People, you got a certain, fam, certain faction of the fan base. Well, let's just get rid of Dak. Dak makes too much money. Dak is really not that good. Dak's overrated. And you go, okay, that's fine. You can get another quarterback. And then you go, now you realize some people said probably said that at the end of Marino's career, and, the, and and Miami is just now thinking that they got the answer to Dan Marino, who retired 25 years ago. And in Washington, they've been searching for their quarterback of the future probably since Billy Kilmer or Sonny Jergensen left. Um, you know, because they've had, you know, when Joe Gibbs was winning, they, he was doing it with a different guy every
0: year. Yeah.
1: And so, you know, the Jets, they've been searching for quarterbacks since Joe Namath left. The Lions, they ain't never had one who won anything. Matt Stafford put up a lot of numbers, but he ain't done nothing. And so when you got a quarterback that's capable of winning and you got a quarterback who's who's legitimately good, you should appreciate him because once he's gone, there's no guarantee you just up and replace him.
0: No, it's it's tough. And I think it's funny that you say that because that year after, after Washington beat Dallas in the finale that year – I bumped into an executive here who was like that kid's going to get a lot of guys paid. And then it was just like, like that. And we're all thinking the same thing. Um, yeah. but I, you know, and it was, it is remarkable, but it, it's a, for Washington fans, it's a nice memory, but I think it's probably, I'm guessing a little bit bittersweet because it was such a great game and you're thinking this is a preview of the next 10 years and it was just a blip. Um, but it was still, it was still an exciting year, but I want to close on this because I, I wanted, you know, your venture I think is pretty cool with JJT media Give a nutshell of what you're doing with that, and it's and for people listening. It makes a really nice gift at any time of the year. So here you go, Jacques. Tee it up.
1: Uh, what we do is we write stories because I'm a journalist and I like telling stories. But but uh, what it is is is, uh, is I call them frame memories because everybody's got a story, and it doesn't matter whether you're an athlete or what. I write stories about athletes, you know, high school athletes and their journey, maybe to a varsity role. I write stories about people in love, how they met and how they fell in love. But really what I enjoy doing most right now, John, and I did it for my dad and I did it for a client last week. Uh, now John's gonna get mad, but it is what it is. When you get to be of a certain age, your parents <laughs> are getting older and they're yeah. not going to be here forever. Yeah. And so what I've been writing a lot of lately, man, is great. Is uh, I've been writing what frame memories for people's parents. Give your dad, give your mom, give your parents the flowers while they're here. Let them, tell them now how much you appreciate them, what they taught you, what you learned from them, why you love them. Uh, you don't have to wait for the, for the funeral and the obituary to do it. You can do it now. I write it up. I frame it. And uh, I got to tell you, man, when people give it to their parents, their parents just go crazy. It's a great man. gift. They sit there. They cry. They can't believe you. Ah, and it's because... You finally tell. I mean, they know you love them and appreciate them, but when you write it down and you tell them, "I remember my dad did this for me," and blah blah blah, man, it, it hits them in a in a in a place where uh, they don't get hit very often, and so. Um, but that's why I like to do it, and that's what I do. I tell stories, and I tell stories all over the country. And yes, you we do. Got, we got shipping, John. We got <laughs> stuff, baby.
0: Tell them where they can get in touch with you if they, they want.
1: Jjtmediagroup.com. And uh, hit me up there with an
0: email, and I can take care of you. It. And it's good stuff. And Jacques is a terrific writer. That's why I hired him years ago to cover Ohio <laughs> State football when I was the editor. Back when I was, what, maybe 10 years old, 15? I don't know what it was. <laughs> we, we were younger. And and Jacques, we got through this podcast without take without. Just ripping what? on Ohio State's defense, and that's we can, we can close uh, there. Yeah. We'll close there. It's Thanksgiving week. <laughs> they're they're you know so. Anyways, Jacques, thanks for coming on. All right, bro, I appreciate you. Thank you, man. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Jean Jacques Taylor for joining me, and thank you for listening. And thanks as well to Lone Oak Coffee for their continued support. Washington is 3 and 7 but this is a pivotal game folks I'll talk to you next time